Love Your Spouse from the sermon series Love Me, Love Me Not, spoken by Pastor Ansi Post. So one of the things I realized when I um, got married was that God has a sense of humor. So if I was picking out the characteristic for the perfect husband for me, it would definitely not be my husband. <laughs> he is white. He is Catholic. He grew up Catholic. He uh, was a fraternity guy. I guess they're still fraternity guys because they still hang out. Uh, he's a huge NASCAR fan. He listens to Fish and Grateful Dead. And he doesn't read novels which I think is the greatest sin of all. Um, I am Indian. I watch Asian dramas. I am not that into music at all. And if I listen to anything, it's a few worship songs on repeat. And I am on Audible or reading a book constantly. But you know, it works. We complement each other. We were set up by a friend of ours, and I always ask her, what made you think of putting the two of us together? And she says that we had the same values. Well, I guess she saw something that we didn't because we've been married almost 12 years and it's still going well. Today, <laughs> today as we continue our Love Me, Love Me Not series with the topic of Love My Spouse, you may be asking yourself, why are we doing this sermon on Family Worship Sunday? Well, that's because this sermon is for the whole church. Right? It's not just for the married people. If you are single, if you are a youth, if you are a child, the importance of loving one another, learning how to love one another, is still important. God instituted marriage as a reflection of his love for us. The marriage motif has been used throughout the Bible to show God's sacrificial and covenantal love for us, his people. So whether you are married or not, you can learn about how to love one another from the Bible. While I may be speaking specifically about marriage in this sermon, this message of how to love is for all of us, whether you're married or not. So if this message is for all of us, why do a message specifically about loving your spouse? This is because we are seeing in society that a lot of marriages are in trouble. A lot are struggling. And this is just as true in the church as outside the church. We are also seeing a shift in society of people not choosing not to get married or delaying marriage. Marriage is important. Marriage is a living symbol of God's love for us and a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. A Christian marriage is to reflect God's love into this world. If you choose to get married, you have to take it seriously because it is so beautiful. Marriage is beautiful because it is a commitment we make before God to be one, to walk in relationship, to walk together in partnership. We get to be an azer to each other, which is a helper. God created my, mankind not to be alone, but to be a helpmate and to have a helpmate in each other. The word azer is not a servant or a lowly position of helper. Because of the 21 times azer is mentioned in the Old Testament, 16 are in reference to God himself. 
So Azer, being an Azer in a marriage is another way to reflect God to each other and to the world. I do want to acknowledge that this sermon topic may be difficult to listen to for some. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you are going through a separation. Maybe you want to be married, but you're not. And maybe you are married, but it's been a struggle lately. No matter what life situation you are currently in, I believe that God has something to speak to you through this message about love. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak directly to your heart exactly what you need to hear today. So as I was working on this sermon, I wanted to use some amazing biblical examples of couples that could help us learn about loving our spouse better. But after much wasted time, I realized there are not that many good examples of marriage in the Bible. The only two I could really think of was Priscilla and Aquila and Mary and Joseph, and, but there's not a lot about their marriages in the Bible. But that tells us something, right? That even our biblical heroes and heroines didn't have perfect marriages. They, too, needed to work on their marriages. Loving your spouse is not easy, but the Bible does teach us how to do it. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It is definitely not easy to love your spouse like God loved us. We are going to look at this text verse by verse to see God's blueprint of how we can love our spouse and others better. It is better not perfectly. We are not God and we are not capable of perfect love. But we can all learn how to love one another and our spouses better. The love in marriage is what we have been talking about this whole series. We are to love God and love others. And spouses fall into the others category. So how do we love our spouses better? First, we love our spouse better by choosing to put on the virtues of God. It is a choice. We need to choose to put on the virtues of God. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God reminds us in this verse that we love because we are his chosen and dearly loved children. We are all chosen in Christ to be like Christ. We know how to love because we are people who have experienced love. We, as God's beloved, are to love others like God loved us. So I want to take a poll. You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe do it mentally. So how many of you, before you were married, and for those who are single currently, have prayed for or dreamed to find the right person to marry? So mentally raise your hand. Now question number two. How many of you have dreamed and prayed to be the right person for your future spouse? Was there a difference? 
We many times want our spouse to be a good fit for us and have the virtues needed for marriage, but we don't ask the same of ourselves. You don't have to be currently married to be working on putting on these virtues. If you're single, you need to practice these virtues with your friends and family and all your relationships. And kids, you don't get a break either. You can practice these virtues with your parents, your siblings, and your friends too. Honestly, this does not come naturally to any of us. It is always a choice, and we need to practice it. Loving our spouse starts with working on ourselves and growing in the virtues of God. We need to put on the virtues listed in this verse. The first is compassion. Compassion literally means to suffer together. Compassion leads you to feel motivated to relieve your spouse's suffering when you see it. You can't be indifferent. We are moved to do something to ease their pain. Compassion is fundamental in a relationship as it motivates you to look out for each other and to care for each other. On top of compassion, we are to put on kindness. I think this is one of those virtues that is solely missing in marriages these days and honestly, in our whole society. There is just not enough kindness in our world today. Kindness towards our spouses, kindness towards our children, families, and even those in our community. We live very busy lives and we don't want to take the effort to be kind to each other. Sometimes it's hard to be kind. Maybe our spouse isn't kind. Maybe our children aren't being kind. But we have to choose to be kind because God is kind. That's why we're kind. Luke chapter 6, 35 tells us, that, But love your enemies, good, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. God is kind, so we are to be kind. It is a fruit of the Spirit. We cannot express this Christ-like kindness on our own, but we can tap into the God in us to be kind to others, especially our spouse. On top of kindness, we need to put on humility. Humility in the Bible is defined as fully depending on God. We need to fully depend on God in order to love our spouse the way they deserve to be loved. If you do not have humility, you will not be able to love your spouse well. Humility is a gentle acknowledgement that of our humanity, that we are not God. God is God and we are not. This is an acknowledgement that we are not infallible. We make mistakes. If ever there is an arena where pride and the need to be right and the struggle for power can occur, it is in a marriage. A lack of humility leads to all kinds of struggles within a marriage. Humility also recognizes the other person's equal status. It recognizes that each has needs, plans, and thoughts that are equally valid. It allows us to laugh at our common humanity and not feel the need to one-up each other. Humility allows us to submit to one another. It is submit to one another. It is mutual. Humility allows us to lead one another. It is also mutual. Sometimes one spouse leads, sometimes the other spouse leads. 
we are none of us to be submitting all the time or leading all the time. This mutuality honors the image of God in each person. It recognizes the power of the Holy Spirit to lead through each spouse. We need to be humble in order to respect our spouse like this. It takes an incredible amount of humility to respect our spouse the way we are called to. If you do not respect your spouse right now, it is probably a sign that you struggle with humility. You are not depending on God to love your spouse. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, beautifully summarizes what humility, humility looks like in a Christian marriage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, look to your in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Humility replaces the self-love and selfishness that will poison a relationship. Humility values the other person. The next virtue to put on is gentleness. Gentleness is also a fruit of the spirit. Gentleness is not weakness. It is not spineless Christianity. Instead, it is the willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. This type of, this type of gentleness can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. It is not natural. Gentleness is vital in a healthy marriage. And the last of the virtues we are to put on is patience or long-suffering. It reminds us that marriage is when two broken people are made one. It is not an act of one-time patience or one-time long-suffering approach as we walk with the other person. As broken people, we make mistakes. We will hurt the other person, both consciously and unconsciously. We need to have patience to love our spouse through it. Patience is another food of the Spirit. Many times we need the Holy Spirit's supernatural patience to love our spouse. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit tells us, but the Holy Spirit produces this type of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Three of the virtues that God is calling us, to, asking us to put on to love one another and to love our spouse better are a gift from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. We cannot generate it on our own from our own resources. We grow in these areas when we grow in our relationship with God. God doesn't ask us to do something he isn't. God is patient with us, his wayward, rebellious, disobedient children. Psalms 103, verse 8 tells us that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. When we clothe ourselves in the virtues of God, we become more like God and we can love others better. Christ showed us his love by displaying these virtues in his life and most perfectly in his sacrificial death. He showed compassion by talking to the poor and the oppressed and giving importance to the concerns of the outcasts, by healing those afflicted by illness, by even 
raising the dead. He showed kindness by interceding for those who were condemned by society as evidenced by him stopping a woman from being stoned for for adultery. And he reached out to those despised tax collectors. He showed gentleness by extending his love and calling those little children to him when his disciples thought that they were a nuisance. He showed patience by bearing with his disciples when they did not understand. He took the time to teach them and correct them and lead them to be, and open their eyes. These are not just random acts of kindness disconnected from each other, but rather they are acts that lived out the kind of love that God gives to us and the kind of love that God wants us to offer to others. All these virtues are crystallized in Jesus' death on the cross where his compassion, humility, forgiveness, and love were seen so clearly in his willingness to forgive even those who crucified him. We can show a heart of compassion towards our spouse by valuing and respecting their concerns even when we don't readily identify with them. We can show kindness to our spouse by regularly finding simple ways to express our ongoing love and care. We can show humility to our spouse by putting away anger and not insisting on our own way. We can show gentleness by not using harsh words and not pushing each other's buttons. We can show patience to our spouse by our willingness to bear with each other through the struggles and difficulties of life together. We love our spouse better when we put on the virtues of God that God is calling us to. No matter what the state of your marriage is right now, whether it is in a good place, struggling, or on life support, you can still put on these virtues. Give your spouse over to God. You cannot control their behavior or actions. However, you can allow God to give you supernatural help to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. You have a choice. You can walk in the virtues of God or not. It is up to you. Second, we love our spouse when we are forgiving. Sometimes we make the mistake and sometimes it's the other person. Colossians 3:13 says, "Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sometimes we're shocked in marriage when the other person hurts us. Like we didn't already know that we married a broken person. Now let me be clear. The hurt that I am talking about here is the type of hurt that we experience and inflict on others as selfish, broken people. This is not the type of hurt where your safety is in jeopardy. You should not bear with anything in a relationship that puts your safety at risk you should get to safety. Abuse is never to be tolerated in any relationship, whether it is physical, emotional, or mental. Seek help. You can find resources at emetro.org help if you need. God cares about your well-being. He wants you to be safe and happy. You can forgive later when you are ready and safe, the grievances I am talking about right now is the common grievances that can be seen in any relationship that involves more than one person. If you are in a marriage or relationship in which you don't fight, 
I would question the depth and honesty of your relationship. Fighting and arguments and disagreements in a relationship are normal. Disagreeing in a relationship means that you are in a relationship in which you can be honest and express yourself. The question is if you disagree with respect or not. Bearing and forgiving doesn't mean you aren't honest. Rather, it means that you love the other person enough to not always want your own way. It is also mutual. It is bare with each other. It is not one person becoming a doormat to the other. I would say my husband and I have a pretty good relationship, but let me tell you, it drives me crazy. And we fight, I don't want to say all the time, but all the time. Um, I believe that we have a relationship in which we can be honest with each other. We are two separate people with very different life and family experiences, wants, desire, and sense of right and wrong sometimes. We have learned over time to fight and disagree better, but, and that we can always come back together. We say our sorries, we offer forgiveness, but we also make it clear how the other person hurt us or what we did not like. We do this because we want our marriage to continue to grow. This doesn't mean we learn quickly either. Most of our fights are still like exactly the same fights. <laughs> However, over time, we have grown in how much grace we offer each other. And because of that, we are often able to de-escalate the tension in a fight much quicker these days. Bearing with each other is gracious without holding a grudge. It is not a giving in, but a choosing of the other person over the win or the issue. This verse tells us to bear with each other. The words bear with suggest the concept of putting up with something we dislike in others. We are not always going to like our spouse, what they do, what they say, or even believe, but God is calling us to bear with it for the common good of our marriage. It is in the present tense, which means it is supposed to be a continual bearing with. It also says to forgive one another, which is also in the present tense, meaning we need to be continually forgiving each other. This forgiveness is to be continuous and even unwearying. It is, this is the forgiveness that Jesus taught about. We need to forgive not just seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times. An endless number of times. This forgiveness is also mutual. It is, again, one to another. There is a lot that needs to be endured in a marriage, a lot that requires bearing with. It is the spirit of forgiveness that makes difficult things bearable and endurable. Holding onto a grudge or a grievance can be so devastating in a relationship, let alone a marriage. Nowhere more than in marriage is love about repeatedly having to say, I'm sorry. Now, don't just say it to get out of a tight spot, or out of a fight. Rather, say it because you know there is no other relationship in which the other person is as vulnerable or so easily hurt. And when the other person asks for forgiveness, grant it. Choose to forgive your spouse. If you're unwilling to forgive, this is a huge problem. This is one of the reasons why so many marriages are struggling. When we don't forgive, we allow Satan to come into our hearts and we allow bitterness to grow. When we are bitter with our spouse and we are unwilling to forgive them, then our marriage is no longer honoring to God and no longer 
a reflection of God's love. Bitterness and unforgiveness are not fertile ground for love to grow. It is destructive in a relationship. Choose to forgive. Forgiveness acknowledges the wrong done, but chooses not to hold it against the other person. Forgiveness says, this will not stand between us. When we we forgive in our relationship, we forgive a small debt because Jesus already forgave a, a large debt for us for the wrong we've done for our sin. We know that if we harbor bitterness and are driven by an unforgiving attitude, then we ignore what Christ has done for us. Can we do less than forgive one another when we have been forgiven so much by God? Forgiveness is like salvation. It is a gift freely given. It cannot be earned. We choose forgiveness because we know that in the long run, Forgiving each other and working through the inevitable conflicts that arise in a relationship will build a stronger marriage and a closer love. So, but now for some of you, the wound is too deep. And it may require that you get together with a counselor or a pastor to help you mediate your issues. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Sometimes you are not able to work it out on your own and you need professional help. If you need resources, you can go to emetro.org slash counseling for resources to find a good counselor or reach out to one of our pastors. Your spouse is worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. No matter what happens in your relationship, it is important for your personal health to get help in order to root out any bitterness, unforgiveness that gives the devil a foothold in your life. Third, we love our spouse better when love and unity are the goal. There's a mental image that I hold on to in marriage that I learned from Pastor Kevin and Linda Swanson. They said that when they have a disagreement, they take something, like a piece of paper, and they put it in front of them, like on the table, and then they sit side by side, often touching each other, and they say, this is the conflict or issue that we are dealing with. We are a team dealing with this issue. This is the image of unity that I think of in marriage. Now, to be honest, I don't physically do this like they do. However, I think of it regularly to to remind myself of what unity looks like in a marriage. I am a very competitive person, and it is easy for me to be in a disagreement and be in it to win it rather than solve the issue. This vision reminds me that my husband and I are on the same team. If he loses, I lose too. Colossians 3:14 tells us, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This love that Paul is talking about is character is the characteristic by which all Christians are to be known. The call is to put it on, which which indicates a choice and an action. Our culture tries to tell us that love is just a feeling. A deep feeling, but still just a feeling. But the Bible teaches that love is an action. Love is something that we do. In order for us to love well, we must understand what love means practically. It means defining love as God defined it by studying what God says love is. We must compare ourselves not to others, 
but to the standard of love that God gives us. In other words, we must look at the verses in the Bible that talk about love like those commonly read at weddings like 1 Corinthians 13 and ask ourselves, am I patient? Am I kind? Am I without envy in my relationship? Am I desiring the best for my spouse? Am I seeking to build them up or just build up myself? Love is so great because it turns our focus from ourselves out towards others. Our husband, our wife, our children. Love is not self-centered or self-absorbed with ourselves, but finds its object outside of itself and expresses itself in a variety of ways that is about the other person. We cannot be united with our spouse or grow in love if we are not spending quality time together. Do not let your relationship be the sum of caring for your children because when they grow up, they're going to leave and you won't have a relationship. There is be no unity and many couples get divorced at this period because their marriage has been just about their children. Spend quality time together. Find a babysitter, go on a date night, or try to get away overnight. And in the everyday, find moments that are just about the two of you as a couple. For my husband and I during the pandemic, it was sometimes just sitting in the car together and talking while we were picking up our kids from school. It was us choosing to say, I'm not going to schedule a meeting during that time, or I don't have a meeting right now, let me go with you, I'll sit in the car and we'll talk. I'll keep you company. Spend time together so you can build unity, so you can grow in love and friendship. Is your spouse your friend? Do you enjoy spending time together? Do you prioritize your time together and unity? One of the keys to a healthy marriage is to grow in friendship with your spouse. We need to become better friends as we journey through life together. In order for a friendship to be healthy, it must be rooted in respect. Too many of us use tones and language with our spouse we would never use with our friends. We don't do that with our friends because we know that they won't stay our friends if we do. We need to treat our spouse with respects. We need to spend quality time with our spouse so that we know them better, right? We need to get to know them. They are not the same person. They will continue to change. You will continue to change. You need to get to know them and learn to love them as God loves them. Romans 12.10 tells us, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Throughout most of my marriage, my husband worked at a job that he liked. He loved the job, but the culture of that company was not healthy. The expectation was to put in a 10-hour-plus workday at work, then come home, and then work again at home. I was only working 10 hours for the church at that period, so I was not contributing much financially to our family's budget. So it was hard for my husband to just quit and, um, and just trust God like I was telling him to. And he could find a job easily if we were willing to move, but he didn't want to move because I loved my job and our families were here. It took me years to convince him to just quit and trust God. And you know when he did? God did provide. He, he, he now works at a company that has an amazing culture, 
like an amazing culture. Like he had a day off and he checked email and replied to something and his boss was like, don't do that, right? You are, when you're off, you need to be off. That's an amazing culture to, from where he came from. And he was offered this job on his very last day of his previous job because he had quit with no plan and there was God providing. Love means looking out for each other. He was willing to stay at a job that he didn't love because he wanted me to be able to serve God where God was calling me to. And I wanted him to be able to work in a place where he was appreciated and valued, even if it meant sacrificing financially. Love means wanting what is best for the other person. Love produces unity in marriage and even in the church. We will never have a magnificent marriage of supreme Christian fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other and forgiving each other unless we love one another with a truly self-sacrificing, giving kind of love that only God can give. The truth is, if we try to have compassion without love, it only serves our ego. Kindness without love is just an act. Humility without love will lead to resentment. Gentleness without love causes anger that will eventually boil over. And being patient without love is just apathy. We can sum up everything, Colossians 3, 12 to 14, with the words, love one another. If you want to love your spouse better, just remember God's command in John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, I can't say I always live out all these virtues perfectly, but I have experienced my husband living out these virtues towards me. I was already 35 years old when we had our first child, Parker, and I had seen lots of my friends go through having a baby. And one of the things I noticed was that so many of my female married friends felt like they were single parents, and they resented how much their husbands did not help with taking care of the baby. Many were still bitter about it, even years later, even though their children were much older. Now, I know myself, and I knew that I did not want to resent my husband. I did not want this to be a barrier between us in our marriage. Luckily, we have a loving and honest marriage, so I was able to share my concerns and needs with my husband, and he really listened to me. I told him that I was really expecting him to be fully present in parenting when he was home from work. I hoped that he would hear me and do what I asked, but it had to be his choice. He was working, but when he came home, I left all the bottles for him to clean and all the baby laundry. It was, if, if I was up at night feeding the baby, the expectation was that he would sit up with me the whole time I was feeding the baby, even though there was nothing he could do to help. Now, this story is descriptive and not prescriptive. I am not saying that this is what needs to happen in a marriage or that this is the best thing. I am just saying this is what happened in mine. Every marriage is different, and what works in mine may not work in yours. But it is the heart of the two people towards each other that makes a difference. My husband was so gracious to me. It was hard for him. He was working a 10-hour-plus day and barely getting to sleep at night because of the night feedings. But man, what a display of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
long-suffering, and sacrificial love he offered me. He did not always like it. None of his friends or men he knew had done this, but he was willing to bear with it because of his love for me. He made a few complaints initially, honestly, only two or three times in months. However, he got up voluntarily on his own every time I fed the baby without me having to ask him. What a gift this was to me. I think my love and trust for him grew exponentially during this time. Even today, when he drives me crazy and I am like, oh no, I think of that and it helps me push through to bear with, to continue to love him through it. This memory is so important to me. Because of his full commitment to be an azer, to be a helper and a partner to me, I respect him so much as a man and father. I was able to travel when Parker was just 13 months old for a whole week because he was a full-time parent also. Even today, we parent together. We do housework together. He is truly a partner and a helpmate to me. Remember I said every marriage is different? For him, sitting up with me during the night feedings is like every other part of our marriage. He asks me to sit with him for moral support when he puts together furniture. I ask him to sit with me for moral support when I try out a new kitchen gadget or try a new recipe. We are always there for each other as a team. Not always, but most of the time. (laughs) My husband isn't actually here today because he is at a cheerleading competition in South Jersey with our kids since Friday, doing hair and makeup and everything else. (laughs) He is cheer dad, putting all his support, all his effort into supporting our kids just like he does for me. So put yourself out there. When we live into the virtues that God is calling us to, then we will see our marriages get stronger. We will see our love for our spouses get better. And we will put, so put on the virtues of God, bear and forgive so that you can love your spouse as God is calling you to. Then you will see unity flourish in your marriage. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us, who has shown us how to love through how you love us, that you have given us a blueprint of how we can love others well. Lord, I pray for all of our relationships, Lord, that we can show love like that. And I especially pray for the marriages of the people in our church, Lord. We know that some are struggling. We know that some are in life support. We know that it is difficult at times, Lord. But help us to love how you are calling us to love, Lord. Help us to put on these virtues. Lord, help us to be a community that supports each other and comes alongside each other because we are none of us called to journey this alone, Lord. And so I just put our marriages into your hands and all our relationship and ask that you bless us and help us to truly tap into the Holy Spirit to be able to love each other well. Praise on your precious name. Amen.